the book of Genesis chapter 3. Again, I'm honored to see each and every one of you in the house of the Lord today. Very blessed that you would be here, praying that God will uh, strengthen all of our state, city, county workers today as they're uh, clearing off the road so that we have a safe passage to church tonight. And uh, it's always it's always easy at this time of year um, to just say, well, if it's, if it's going to be sketchy weather at all, we'll just call it off. But I told some families here this morning when I came in, I said, I've had all the canceled church I plan on having. <laughs> Amen. 2020 was all the canceled church I wanted, and I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord today. Praise God. We've got this thing figured out. If we come in here, you may not know this, but I can preach in this room when there's nobody else in here. I can do it. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. If it's nasty outside and it ain't but just us four and no more, we're going to come have church. Praise God. Amen. Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to extract our text today from just uh, a short, uh, the first short sentence of chapter 3 and verse 1 in your Bible in Genesis 3 and 1. It says to us, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Let the church say amen to the reading of the word. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Some time ago, uh, my family and I had gotten a little bit stir-crazy. And... Uh, COVID had been going on for a couple of months, and it looked like there was going to be a lifting of it a little bit. And so we made a trip out west. It's probably one of the most chaotic things I've ever dreamed of doing. But uh, we stopped in Little Rock, went on to Carlsbad, New Mexico to be with Brother King. And then from there, we left our two oldest daughters in Carlsbad, my wife and I and Jocelyn decided it would be a good idea to get up early on Monday morning after we'd had church and start driving north. We drove up through New Mexico, Colorado, spent the night in Colorado. The next day got up, went all the way into uh, South Dakota, and uh, we were just there for about a 24-hour span to see uh, Mount Rushmore, and then went on into the city in Rapid City and stayed the night and started our way back home. And uh, there in Keystone, where Mount Rushmore is, beautiful area, the Black Hills, if you've never been there, Sister Diane can tell you all about it. We actually uh, felt like rich and famous people because we had a private tour guide. It was a virtual tour assistant. Sister Diane is from the Black Hills. And so my wife was like kind of in Siri mode over in the, in the co-pilot seat, and she's Texting, ooh, Sister Diane says we got to go here. She says we got to go there. She says we got to do this and do that. And uh, so we did, and we found the home of the uh, uh, the $12 bacon-wrapped filet mignon. This is a treasure to behold. Hallelujah. But we were staying in Keystone at this beautiful little lodge place. And uh, real, real nice little motel, very clean. Everything was taken care of so neat. And, of course, 
uh, with COVID going on and all that stuff, everything was different. It just felt weird. Uh, you couldn't get breakfast. Everybody couldn't have breakfast, but everybody walked into the same room and they had bags out for everybody. So you just walked in and got bags. And so I, I, I went in and got my breakfast bag and I don't, I don't remember. It was just like yogurt and a couple of things in there. And I thought, goodness gracious, we could be doing biscuits and gravy right now. You understand what I'm saying? Someone said this week that a restaurant here in town told them they didn't have gravy, biscuits and gravy because of COVID. And I said, good Lord, that'll heal COVID. I don't know. You need to eat good. But I got my little breakfast bag and I, I, I walked around. I love the mountains and I, I love all the beauty. And, uh, Prairie dogs were screaming everywhere. The sun was coming up, and there were prairie dogs screaming on top of these little rocks out there and making all kinds of noise. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go for a walk. We've been shut in for months. I said, I'm going to just get out and walk around. There ain't nobody out here. And I started down this uh, beautiful trail. It was well cut, well planned. I mean, it was the place where you're supposed to be. And uh, I walked past this sign on this beautiful clear-cut path and the sign says brown sign white writing caution so I stop and look it says beware venomous snakes in the area and I thought maybe I could eat my breakfast bag in the room I don't know I've had people ask me as a Pentecostal, as an apostolic, they're like, now you guys aren't them snake handlers, are you? Just going to tell you folks, if that's what it took, I'd be lost forever. <laughs> There's three kinds of snakes I don't like. I don't like live snakes, I don't like dead snakes, and I don't like sticks that look like snakes. I'm not a snake man. I don't like snakes. It ain't going to happen. And I'm thankful that when Jesus said you can take one up, and it won't hurt you. He didn't mean that's because you have to. Praise God. I've never made a habit of drinking strychnine either. But I'll never forget that feeling. I knew that there was a really, really good chance. I've hunted in the desert. I've hunted in the mountains. I've been all over the place where I knew there were venomous snakes. And to be quite honest with you, the chance of seeing one is, is by far way less than the chance that you will see one. But it's that thought that comes to your mind. Like, there is a chance that while I'm out here, I'm going to see one. It causes you to walk just a little bit different. It causes you to walk with your step and your cadence just a little less uh, free. It's like something comes over you and you think, maybe I better watch where I'm going. I want to make three simple points to you today, but I feel like the Lord is going to help us. I want to preach to you today, beware of the snakes. The Bible tells us in Genesis, the third chapter, that the, that the beast, the serpent, was more subtle than any other beast of the field that God had made. It was a moment where satanic presence had somehow interrupted the life of this serpent and had filled this serpent and began to to beguile or deceive Eve, who was the wife of Adam. And there's so many things that you could preach here, so many things that could happen, but the truth of the matter is that the serpent, the snake, was wandering around somewhere that 
He did not have dominion to be. The Bible said that the Lord had given Adam and Eve dominion over that garden. But a conversation that transpired with a serpent that had no dominion to be there eventually led to the fall and the demise not only of the family unit but also ultimately with communion with God. Yes, it was Adam's family that was interrupted and broken and that change came to them forever. But what happened in this story that amazes me is that the first time this sin was noticed was when God came to have communion with Adam and with Eve. And the word of the Lord said that when his spirit came in the cool of the day, in the midst of the garden to visit with them, that he realized in that moment the serpent have beguiled my children. They weren't aware of their step. They weren't walking cautiously and carefully through the garden. And because of that now, I cannot have communion with my people. I want to tell you today that the serpent is still on the loose. And he's really not just after you. He's after those that are connected to you. He's after your family. He's after your marriage. He's after your prayer life. He's after your communion with God. I know that people don't believe this and they don't understand this to the fullness when you try to ignore it. But just because you ignore something does not mean that it doesn't exist. You understand what I'm saying? And so we find excuses to act like things don't exist and they're not really there. And so you can act like it all you want to, but the fact of the matter is it's there. He's known as a serpent. He's known as a dragon. He's known as a roaring lion that's roaming to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. But the truth of the matter is you can ignore him and act like he's not there, but he's still there. The enemy has no new tactics. He's not smooth enough to come up with something new. It's the same old thing a different day. It's the same old thing that's working in the church right now. It's a spirit of distraction. It was working in the garden, and the Lord said to them, you can have everything in here but this one thing. Why is it that when we could be in the presence of the Lord, our focus is not on the goodness of God. It's on that one thing. The Lord said, you got all the garden you want. Eat of any tree you want, but leave this alone. And some look at this and say, well, you know, Pastor, I just really believe that the Pentecostal church is a little bit overboard with this stuff. You, you guys are a little over the top. I, I'm not really sure that that's necessary for me to make it to heaven. Listen, it was one thing that kept Adam and Eve from communion with God. The rich young ruler, the Lord said, you've done great things. He said, I'm thankful for what you've done in that parable. He said, but one thing thou lackest. Somebody shout one thing. It can very well be today that you seemingly have all your ducks in a row, but there's one thing that you're wrestling with that you just can't seem to shake. And there's not a lot of people that'll square up their shoulders and tell you this, but I am convinced this morning that there will be somebody that will be lost and spend eternity in hell over one thing. One thing. Can you imagine? I know. They were just old rowdy preachers that had guts and they were old fashioned, different, but I was raised in church where 
Preachers actually had the guts to call sin, sin. Isn't that something? I'll never forget. I'll never forget we were in a revival here one time. And my dad, uh, Sister Martha, my dad was trying to make a point about addictions. And he, he was preaching about how that tobacco is addictive, but God can deliver you from it. Instead of just preaching about it, we had a whole front two or three rows full of new converts. And my dad walked off the platform and walked up to one of them that he knew was smoking, and he said, Can I borrow a cigarette? I've never seen anything like that in my life. Preacher asking for a cigarette in the middle of his preaching. Can you imagine? Bishop walked down there and he grabbed that cigarette from that person. And then he walked up on the platform and commenced to preaching on smoking. I remember my dad setting that little cigarette on the old pulpit. There was a flat spot like this and he set it up there. Cigarette stood up like that and he said, Somebody is going to be lost over this. Well, you shouldn't preach like that. That... That's going to offend somebody. Well, I want to tell you, 11 weeks later, 47 people had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I would not serve a God that did not have the power to deliver me. I'm thankful to be a part of a body that serves a living God. And he is very well capable of delivering you out of your trouble today. Some folks spend their lives watching out for the anaconda because the anaconda is the noticeable thing. It's that big thing. It's that absolutely disgusting, terrifying thing. But I'm telling you right now that I've had some surprises that were not very welcomed in the state of Louisiana. You can be on the bank fishing or in the woods hunting and just get a surprise just any old time. Don't want to drive your boat, your fishing boat, underneath a low-hanging branch. Because you can take more back to the dock. Will you mind telling the truth, Memo? Them old nasty cotton mouths. They'll fall out of a tree right down into your boat. And I'm going to tell you, it'd be a bad, bad day. That boat would be sinking. Because I would empty my clip into the floor of my boat. And that's where you lose all your ammo and boat wrecks. <laughs> Understand me when I tell you folks that when I was in South Africa, I don't know if Brother Robbie and Sister Martha will see this, but I was so looking forward to going to South Africa because God was opening doors for us there. We had some places to preach and things. I was so excited about what God was going to do when we got there. And uh, right before I left, Brother Robbie sent word to be sure and bring some camo because he'd set up a hunt. And so I was going to hunt uh, a kudu, and man, I was thrilled to death. And it's at the taxidermist now if you want to know the end of the story. Hallelujah. But I'll never forget, I'm walking around out there, Brother Tony, in that red sandy clay. And this little guy named William was my tracker. Little short African guy, real, real sweet. And he had that French sounding accent when he would speak to me. And he said, 
Be very careful when walking. I said, oh yeah. He said, watch for the mamba. I said, mamba, is that candy? Like them, like fruit mambas? He said, watch for the black mamba. I was like, isn't that the fastest snake in the world? He's like, very fast. I was like, how fast? He said, you can't outrun it. I said, you ain't never seen me run, brother. And here's what you need to know. I don't have to be faster than the snake. I just need to be faster than you. So if there's a black mamba, your knee will be bleeding. Because I will shoot you in the knee and take off running. Not really. He was probably the only thing that would have saved my life. He was a sweet man. But I'll never forget, I went from the excitement of, I'm getting ready to kill the biggest game of my life. Like this is an opportunity of a lifetime. To all of a sudden, I began to take note of every step that I took. I remember I had just sat down on rocks out in open places and I'd, I'd find a good place to look and I'd, just, I'd find the rock and I'd sit down and look. But after me and William talked, before I'd sit down, I'd kind of look behind the rock a little bit and, oh my goodness. Listen, when you live with the understanding that you're living in the territory of what could be, I feel like telling somebody in the Holy Ghost today, that it'd be all right if we'd spend more time preventing things in our lives than we did healing from things that never had to break in the first place. I believe that God is trying to get the church to a point where we're not always reeling back and forth in recovery mode and we're led by the Spirit and we're aware that the enemy desires to sift us as wheat. Can you imagine giving attention to your relationship with God so much in the garden that your discernment was on such a high level that when the serpent comes to the garden, your immediate response is not what I can get by with. But your immediate response is you don't belong here. You don't have dominion here. That only comes by falling in love with that daily communion. What people don't understand is that you cannot have communion and have communion with the snake at the same time. If Genesis teaches us anything, it's that when you have the conversation with the serpent, it will replace communion with God. different day that we live in now, I'm going to be strong with you for a minute so put your seatbelt on but it used to be a time that when people would come they'd either get convicted change their lives or as Demas forsook Paul they would leave to go live the lifestyle that they wanted to leave but now it's as though we've become so comfortable that we let Demas bring his serpent with him It depends on how talented they are as to whether or not the serpent is welcome on your drum set. If the serpent is welcome in your choir loft. I've come to tell you today that there's not room for me and a serpent both in this house this morning. One of us is leaving and I want the serpent to know it's not me. 
Simon, Satan hath desired you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that your faith would fail you not. Simon, be aware of the snake. We spend so much time in the apostolic church having to teach on recovery and restoration. When the truth of the matter is, I believe it with all my heart that God is in the restoration business. But how many things have we restored because of reckless decisions that have been made? I believe that God can put your marriage back together. I believe that God can put your family back together. But it would amaze you what dragging your family to an altar of prayer would do every day before it ever falls apart. I've come on Sunday morning to let somebody know that the serpent is still in business. That as of right now, the serpent is still in business. And he's doing everything he can to beguile you. He's doing everything he can to deceive you. And today we're serving notice in the house of the Lord that we are absolutely aware of every move that he's making. We're not walking into this thing blind today. But we are mindful of his devices. We know today exactly what he's trying to do there are no new plans he's doing everything he can to distract us but we have squared our shoulders and we have set our face like a flint and we're heading in 2021 in the direction of revival and we're declaring to the serpent we are aware of you today we're aware of you today Verse 13 of chapter 3 of Genesis. The Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Now here comes the heavy rain. But the Lord did not ask her the question, What did the serpent do to you? Can I preach to you what the word says? Because we spend a lot of time blaming the serpent. The Lord didn't say, what has this serpent done to you? The Lord said, what is this that you have done? Eve, I want you to know that you allowed this in. You allowed this to happen. It's a bad place when we get mad at God. For letting us make our own decisions. You've heard me preach it, but I'm going to preach it until there's no breath left in my lungs or until the Lord comes back. I'm just telling you right now that we don't have authority to be casting out serpents in church when we're letting serpents run wild in our houses. You can't let the spirit of Python run loose through your television set and through your radio and through your iPod and live your life expecting that you're going to have the authority to break the back of a serpent when you come to the house of God. You've got to get the serpent out of the house. You've got to get the serpent out of your house the serpent came 
to the home of Adam and Eve. I want that to be driven home to you today. He was in their house. He was in their front yard. And even with direction, I've felt many times in my life as a pastor, and I swear if God himself preached this, nobody would listen. Adam and Eve proved that to be true. The Lord himself said, don't touch it. But it took one moment with a serpent that they let in their yard. And it was over. In Ecclesiastes, the 10th chapter, the 8th verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 8. It says, he that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. And whoso breaketh an hedge. Somebody read that to me. A serpent shall bite him. Now folks, I believe in sin's wrecking ball. Let me be very clear with you today. I believe that I have seen the byproducts of sin and how it can destroy life. I believe that. But when we think about compromise and we think about walls being broken down, honestly, we immediately kind of go to wrecking balls coming in and smashing churches down. And in two weeks' time, it goes from a great, powerful church to a nothing church, and it's all done. But I, I want to tell you, it's a lot slower of a process than that. It's a daily dying where there were no brakes put on and the accelerator just, just little by little. Just, we just kept it in drive and just kept on moving in that direction. I preached a sermon years ago here about uh, pilotage and dead reckonings. What we call pilotage, pilotage and dead reckoning in flying. It's that you, you fly by landmarks and you fly uh, by watching your compass. And I told in that sermon, I believe uh, Brother Mike Bingham had even made mention of this one time here. I'm not sure, but... Uh, I had preached how that if I left the Anderson Municipal Airport here in, a, in an aircraft and I was off by one degree on my, my charted course, if I was flying from here to the Indianapolis International Airport and I was off by one degree, when I got to the airport, I'd be off my mark by 17 feet. It's not bad. I can still recover by Indianapolis. But if I stay on that same course from here to Denver, Colorado... And I'm only one degree off. Somebody say one degree. degree. By the time I get to Denver, Colorado, and I'm off one degree in my airplane, I will have missed the airport by 17 miles. You can't recover from 17 miles. Especially if a storm comes in and you're looking for answers in the middle of a storm. The joy of staying close to the right track is that whenever storms come in, I don't have to die lost. I stayed. I stayed the course. That's why the apostle said when he closed out his life, he said, I fought the fight, I kept the faith, and I finished my course. I didn't deviate from the path. I stayed on the course. You don't have to make a mistake and fly east when you were supposed to fly west. You just have to miss it by a little bit. Well, Pastor, I, just, I don't know. I just think, I, I just think you guys, man, you're, you're, you're too crazy about this. I've been to other churches, and it's not necessary. Well, let me just set the issue straight with you. Let me set the record straight. It's necessary for me to be saved. 
Are you hearing what I'm telling you today? Everything that we do in my family, even the convictions that we live by that are not written black and white in the scripture, it is out of pure necessity for my family to be saved. You won't find anywhere in the scripture the Lord talking anything about movies. Nothing. You won't find it. It wasn't there. Because they weren't going to movie theaters. It didn't happen. They didn't have them. But understand me when I tell you that the spirit of the age and entertainment was still there. Just because the Lord did not mention it verbatim, chapter and verse, doesn't mean it's not dangerous. I came up under the kind of preaching of, now some of you folks been around the church a while, you'll know what I'm saying. I came up, Brother Sean, under the preaching of, and such like. And such like. Pastor, why do you work so hard to keep the path so straight and clear cut in this church? Because I'm telling you that just off the pathway, there is a serpent that's waiting for you. Whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. When you read this, you think of wrecking balls. But I want to tell you what this scripture really truly means when you understand the context of the wise man's writing. You didn't knock a hedge down for the hedge to be broken. Actually, the context of the statement was that in those times it was very common for the hedge of protection that was built around a vineyard or a plantation, whatever you want to call it, that the fence they would use was built out of individual stones that became a wall. Now, there's power in that, in that understanding. That the hedge was a sum total of every individual effort that created the hedge. But in those rocks in the hot sun, there would be vacancies and, and gaps in the middle where serpents would coil up in the heat of the sun under those rocks. And if ever the shepherd or the, the, the husbandman of the vineyard would reach his hand down to move a rock off of the wall, the serpent that was coiled up in the open space would grab a hold of their hand and would bite them because it was hiding in an open place. And the wise man Solomon said, Whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. The understanding of this verse has got to become clear to us today. That the Lord is not speaking through Solomon about sin's wrecking ball. He's speaking through the wise man Solomon about the boldness to move just one stone. He said if that one stone is removed, the hedge is considered to be broken. Why is that, Pastor? Because you don't have to tear down a wall in the sum total of it for it to lose its power and effectiveness. The Word said that this is built line upon line and precept upon precept. It's not just a wall. It's the sum total of our faith and every conviction and everything that we believe. You cannot break. Break the hedge and the serpent not be there. I'm a man of mercy. I try my best to be as merciful as I can be. 
I'm, being, I'm just being transparent with you, church. If, if I've ever leaned in error, it's probably been on the side of mercy. I've tried to love people. Tried to be kind to people. I've seen ministries that were struggling, walking down pathways that I knew weren't healthy. And when they would reach out to me in frustration and say things like, man, I'm just not sure that all of this is necessary. There was something in my spirit that would cry out to them, Brother Stephen, beware of the serpent. Because if you start to tear this doctrine down, just one little bit at a time, I'm telling you, it doesn't take very much. But once you start lifting the hedge of conviction... The next thing you know, it's going to be the stone of doctrine. It's going to be the stone of baptism in Jesus' name. It's going to be the stone of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And before you know it, the serpent's going to have hold of your hand. And his venom's going to go to your heart. And a vineyard that has been long standing will now be unprotected because the hedge did not matter to you. Families don't fall apart in a weekend. But we sure expect God to heal it in a weekend. Woo! It's tight, but it's right. I feel like telling somebody today in the Holy Ghost, you need to stay as far away from that hedge as you can. I firmly believe in the teachings of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Some believe that Jesus came and disobeyed the law. I've heard preachers in Pentecost actually say that Jesus, Jesus came and started, started uh, purposefully disobeying the laws to show people that there was no power in the law. I would openly debate with you today, there's not one place in the scripture ever, anywhere, that Jesus broke a law. It didn't happen. Oh, yes, it did, Pastor. Yes, it did. Because his disciples took barley in their hands on the Sabbath. And Jesus immediately began to teach them that the power of life is more important than the Sabbath. He didn't break the Sabbath. He saved a life. And he started asking, which of you would be so cold-hearted on the Sabbath day? If you had an animal that fell in a pit and was going to die in that pit, that you wouldn't dig the animal out of the pit to save its life. Jesus didn't break the Sabbath. Jesus didn't destroy the Sabbath. He fulfilled the Sabbath. And Jesus was not one that came in and just blatantly ignored and, and arrogantly disrespected the law. Jesus didn't come in talking about how foolish the law was and there was no reason to live your life under that. There's no reason for you to do that whatsoever. As a matter of fact, Jesus took it a step further. We live in a generation where people try to say that this dispensation of grace completely abolishes all of that and that the law was too hard to live under. But understand me when I tell you this. The law said that if a man lays with another man's wife and commits adultery that he's stoned in the gate. But grace said, I say unto you that if a man looks on a woman and lusts after her in his heart, he's already committed adultery. So which was more difficult, grace or law? I think we misinterpret grace because what grace did was set a parameter and a hedge. Jesus said the law is don't commit adultery. 
But grace will build a hedge and say, don't even look at adultery and you'll never commit adultery. Your family matters. If God has given you a family, you fight for your family. Do everything you can for your family. Listen, brothers and sisters, hear me. If you've got a marriage, fight for that marriage. I promise you that no fully hedged vineyard is going to end up in divorce court tomorrow. One of two things that have happened, and this may not be popular, but it's true. One of two things happened. You either started that marriage in an unprotected vineyard with no hedge at all. Or you slowly moved one stone at a time and broken down the hedge of that marriage. Hey, let, can I just preach to some married folks right here for just a minute? We got some young marriage that need to hear what I'm about to tell you right now. Please listen to what I'm telling you. If you have to ask yourself... Would this upset my wife if I talked to this woman? The answer is always yes. Uh, you can all be seated. If you have to ask yourself, would this make my husband uncomfortable? Yes, it would. I can't tell you how many times I've heard him say, oh, he trusts me. Because maybe until now you've never given him a reason not to trust you. But if you keep lifting up on that stone, I promise you sooner or later, there's a serpent in that hedge. It's not popular and you probably won't hear it on TBN. But I feel like telling somebody, if God's given you a vineyard, you better protect it with everything you've got. So here's what we see. First point I made you this morning is that the serpent will come to your home. Beware of the serpent. Second thing is he'll come against your conviction and the hedges that are around your life. The third thing I want to preach to you today, and I won't be much longer, but you find it in the book of Acts, the 28th chapter. The apostle Paul was on his way to get supposedly a just trial. He got in the middle of a storm where a Eurekladon had blown up in the water. and It was a strong easterly wind that blew them, tossed them to and fro. The Bible said that they came in, some, on broken pieces. But nevertheless, they ended up, and fast forward, on an island that was called Melita in Acts, the 28th chapter. The apostles said that they were barbarous people, but they were very kind to them, saw their shipwreck, and that they had presented to them a fire, a warm fire. They began to build a warm fire for them because of the cold is what the second verse said. So keep in mind that Paul had just come through a storm. It was a difficult season in his life. He was still under arrest of the Romans and was headed for a trial. He was in a terrible season of life. And when he came to rest finally on the island of Melita in the midst of a storm in his life, 
The Bible said that he thought to do the right thing in the third verse. And if these people were just kind enough to present a fire to them, that the apostle Paul would gather a bundle of sticks and say, if I could do anything to help, they're trying to keep us warm, so I'll do my part. And the word of the Lord said that when he took the bundle of sticks to the fire and he went to throw them in the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened to his hand. You tell me one thing Paul did wrong in this story. Anything? Tell me one thing Paul did that was contrary to the word of God. Anything? Did he ever doubt God? Did he ever question God? Did he ever curse God for the storm? Did he ever tell God how terribly stupid he was for making him survive a storm like this? Never. So then why were vipers jumping out of fire? Because the enemy has a way of catching you at a point where he believes you're at your weakest. And he will present himself to you. Listen, now this is not, please understand, it's not going to be popular. But you better be careful where you find warmth in the midst of a cold storm. You be careful who you lean your ear into. Because there are vipers hiding in the warmth of places that will bring you warmth. Understand me. It don't matter how far you are. You can always find somebody to agree with you. But when you lean your ear in, there may just be a viper. Be aware of the snakes. Be aware of where you're warming your hands. The serpent came to their home. Came to conviction through Ecclesiastes. And now he's coming to the Apostle Paul when he's come through a storm. And he's trying to kill him before justice is served. And the word of the Lord said that when the viper came out of the fire and fastened to his hand. The fourth verse said the barbarians saw the venomous beast hanging from the apostle. And they said no doubt this man is getting ready to get everything he deserves. He is a murderer. He escaped the sea and the reason they were in the storm is because of what he had done. And the gods are suffering him not to live. But verse 5, the scripture said, and he. <laughs> there will always be people that will look at you and say, you're going to get what you deserve. You don't deserve the grace of God, but somebody that's got enough Holy Ghost in you can stand up and say, it don't matter what I've been through. It don't matter what I'm going through right now. I refuse the bite of the serpent. I refuse the venom of the serpent. And the Bible said that he shook it off and he felt no harm. I feel the Holy Ghost trying to help somebody in here. Somebody needs to get some pushback in your spirit this morning when the enemy tried to come to you and destroy you and folks were pointing their finger at you. You shook it off and said, I refuse the venom. How be it they looked. God, this will preach all day. And when he should have been swollen. (laughs) 
maybe this ain't doing for you what it did for me. He said, they said, we looked at him, and there should have been a wound there. But he refused the wound of the viper. God have mercy. You don't have such a hold on me that I can't shake you off and walk out of this thing. That's why the writer said, neither give place to the devil. You know what that means? Don't give him an inch. Don't open up the door. When he tries to latch on, let him know. You're not welcomed here. They looked at him and said, man, you should be swollen right now. You should have fell down dead. But there's been no harm that came to you. Somebody ought to testify today. I shouldn't be here. I should have already been dead. I should have been messed up. But God intervened. And I had enough fight in my I'm trying to hurry this morning, but I got to read in the next 28 today. And I said, Lord, I want you to show me where it was that you took the viper off the apostle. Show me, God, where it was that you fought this battle for him. Where was it that you grabbed the viper and took it off of him? The Lord said, I'm not taking the viper off of him. He's already got the authority to get rid of the viper. If you don't want the serpent, you can tell the serpent to go. And the Bible tells us that he should have been swollen. He should have fallen dead. But after they looked a great while, you know what? I want the enemy of my soul to stand around and look as long as he wants to look. You can look as long as you want to look. But there's no harm that's going to come to me. And the scripture said, I love this. This is worth the whole chapter. They changed their minds. What Paul did not know is his response to the viper was about to start the greatest revival that Melita had ever seen. But we know we've got authority over the viper in our home. We know we've got authority over the viper in the hedge. But Paul, I want you to know you've got authority over revival in your life. You tell that viper, get off of me. Get out of my church. Get out of my revival. We're going to have revival. It was Paul's response to the serpent that changed their minds. People are looking at you wondering how you're going to handle the serpent. And here's what you need to know. The way you respond to the serpent will be the way the barbarians respond to you. Pastor, there's people in this world, they don't want God. They don't want what we've got. You just shake enough vipers off. You shake enough of this off of your life. They'll change their minds. They're going to change their minds. And the Bible says to us, they said that he was God. Listen, I'm not trying to interject anything here. But I wonder how many of us are so close to the Lord that when people look at our lives, they have a hard time deciding. Are you enough like him that people can say, this dude's got something. He's been with God. He's been with God. He's been with God. How do they know that he was like a God? Because of the way he handled the serpent. 
God have mercy because of the way he handled the serpent and the scripture tells us right after that if you keep reading that Publius was sick and that God began to heal the sick and that revival began to break out you want to know what I believe FPC I believe that God is sending us revival and we're going to see the sick healed and we're going to see the dead raised and we're going to see deliverance because God has shown us how to handle the serpent I feel like telling the devil this morning, you came to the wrong house. We're about to shake off everything that you have thrown our way. We're about to shake it off and have the greatest revival we've ever had. Let's stand together. You may not believe this, but read it in your Bible, it's there. He said the way that they shook off, that, that he shook off the serpent, it created a culture of honor among those people. Barbarian people at Melita. But God changed their hearts so much that when these idol-serving, pagan-loving people changed their hearts, they looked at the man of God and said, we honor you, sir. I'm not looking at how dark this world is. I'm not looking at the people that you think are too hard for God. I'm looking at a church that's been given authority and power. That when the viper comes your way, you can shake that serpent off. And God will soften the hardened heart. I said, God will soften the heart. You may have somebody in your life that you've been reaching for for a long time. You got to put them in God's hands and don't be lost over them, but just handle the viper and let God handle them. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody right now. There's some people today that if you're not careful, you're going to let that influence keep pulling you further and further away. And when you get to viperous fires, you're not going to know how to deal with it. You've got to let God be God in your life. And if that person chooses to serve God, then that's what they choose. But you can't afford to let the viper venom destroy your life over them. For three months... They had revival in Melita because of one man that refused to let a serpent destroy his ministry. He'll come to your home. He'll come to the hedges of your conviction. And he'll do everything he can to destroy your ministry and your revival. But today we have served notice the prince and the power of the air. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Against principalities and powers. Against spiritual darkness. Spiritual wickedness. The rulers of the darkness of this world. We're aware of you, Satan. We're not going to let anything keep us from having revival. We're not going to let anything keep us from our family being saved and if every one of them turn their back on us and walk away from us and walk away from God we're still going to be saved we're going to do whatever we've got to do to reject the venom of the viper 
I wish you'd let the devil know this morning, I'm very aware of you, son. I'm aware of what you're doing. And today, we refuse your venom.